Let's open God's Word this evening to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. We will read the whole of the chapter, and the text for this evening sermon will be verse 3. This is the inspired word of our God. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good will, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Thus far we read God's word. The text for this evening's sermon is verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings 
in heavenly places in Christ. As Christians, sadly, there are times when our zeal for God is not what it should be. Sadly, there are times that our worship and praise of God is less than enthusiastic. And the question becomes, why? What explains why we are not always so zealous for the Christian faith? What accounts for the fact that at times our hearts are not characterized by that fervor and that passion that perhaps at other times we do experience? How is it we could ever lose our first love? Well, to answer that question, I can do no better than to quote the great English theologian John Owen, who once said, quote, Our greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort but our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges, end quote. What's the problem? What's the issue? John Owen is right when he says, it's because we lose sight of how blessed we are as God's people. It's because our hearts are no longer gripped by the wonder of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's exactly because that's true. The book of Ephesians is so important to us. Because as we learned this morning, the book of Ephesians is all about how blessed we are in Jesus Christ. The book of Ephesians is emphasizing the fact that our God showers His blessings upon us. That He lavishes His grace upon His people. And we see that at the very outset. Especially in this opening section of the book. This morning we considered the first two verses which were the introduction which served as a preview of what's to come. And now the Apostle Paul transitions to getting right to the main point, especially in verses 3 through 14, because in verses 3 through 14, we really have one long sentence, the whole of which is a doxology praising God for the unsearchable riches that are found in Christ. The Apostle Paul strings together Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. And sets them all in front of us. So that we might know how blessed we are. And the 
value of emphasizing this is exactly because of what we just pointed out. This is our chief need, really, to know just how privileged we are as a people. When we have this in view, when we are truly gripped by the wonder of our salvation, from a certain point of view, everything else will fall into place. And that comes out from the very form of this passage. As I noted, this is a doxology. He begins saying, Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts on the note of praise. And the Apostle Paul would have us to join him in praising and blessing this God. And if we ask why, the answer is in verse 3. Because he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So this evening we want to consider Ephesians 1 verse 3 using as our theme, blessed with all spiritual blessings. First, we are going to look at the source of those blessings. Second, we will look at the character of those blessings. And then third, we will consider the response to those blessings. The source of them, the character of them, and the response to them. It's noteworthy that Paul, by inspiration, does not begin this section by saying, we are so blessed. But instead, he begins, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, he starts with the one who blesses us. He starts with the the source, and thus so do we in this sermon. The source of the blessings that we'll talk about more in the second point is our triune God. And we emphasize the word triune because as is often the case, as we saw even this morning, Paul is being explicitly Trinitarian here. In verse 3 he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we obviously have the first and second persons of the Trinity on the foreground when he speaks of Our God and Father, there's the first person of the Trinity. And then the Lord Jesus Christ, there's the second person of the Trinity. But again, we have the third person of the Trinity here because we go on to read, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And that word spiritual is not distinguishing these from physical blessings. There's another part of the text that does that. But instead, the point is these are the blessings that emanate from the Spirit. These are the blessings given by the Spirit. And we'll have more to say about that in a moment. But the point being now, we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. These blessings come from our triune God. That is the source of them. But now we need to be more specific. Because this text is really teaching us that these blessings come to us from the triune God who has eternally planned to save us in and through Christ. And I say that because that's the deeper significance of this specific phrase, this specific wording that we find here in the text. It's really quite striking when you think about it. The Apostle Paul does not write, Blessed be God who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. He does not write, blessed be the God and Father who hath blessed us. 
But he writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to ask the question, why does he string all these names together? Does he simply like saying the names of our God and of our Savior because he enjoys the sound of them? That can't be the reason. Paul is not wasting words here. And now part of it is, in fact, that he's making this explicitly Trinitarian, but there's more to it. And the deeper significance comes out when we take this phrase, this these names, the blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and compare that, for example, to what we find again and again in the Old Testament. Children, how does the old how do the Old Testament scriptures refer to God? Is it not usually the God of Abraham? Or the God of Israel or the God of Jacob? That's what we often read in the Old Testament. And The significance there is it's reminding us this is the God of the covenant. This is the God who is the God of promise, who has made so many promises to the patriarchs of old. But when we come to the New Testament, we no longer find that same name and that same phrase, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But instead, we find this language, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the significance is that This then is the God who has fulfilled his covenant. This is the God who has kept those promises and he's kept them specifically in and through Jesus Christ. For in eternity already, the triune God determined that's how he would save us. That was his plan for salvation for an eternity or to use the language of verse 4 before the foundation of the world our triune God took counsel within himself and he determined the whole plan of salvation that there would be creation and then a fall and then redemption and then glorification and at the heart and center of that entire plan was that Christ would be the one, the Son would be the one who would come into this world to accomplish that salvation. So that in eternity, before the foundation of the world, the second person of the Trinity said in counsel with the Father and the Spirit, I will leave this place of glory I will take to myself a weakened human nature. I will go the way of suffering and humiliation. I will let them spit in my face. I will let them nail me to a tree. And I will bear the sins of my people. That was the plan all along. And all of that is in view. When the Apostle Paul says what he does here. When he speaks of our God as the God and Father. 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the triune God who in eternity determined to save us in and through Christ. And what a wonder that is. Because our God was under no obligation to save us. That's where the canons of Dort begin. Head one, article one. God was under no obligation to save us. He would have been perfectly just to give us over to the condemnation that we deserve on account of our sins. And thus, how amazing that this God who is eternally blessed in himself condescended to look upon us in our plight to save us in and through his Son to not only deliver us from the punishment we deserve for our sins but to go above and beyond that and to bless us in Jesus Christ with all these spiritual blessings and it's when we stop to think about the wonder of it all when we meditate upon these truths that as believers we cannot but stand on the top of our toes and say praise God or to use the language of the text blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ but that's getting ahead of ourselves because the response, the praise, that's the third point, and we're still in the first point. And we've talked about the source of these blessings, but and we've said it's the triune God who is eternally determined to save us in and through Christ, who is the source of these blessings. But now there's also instruction for us about how these blessings then come to us. And there are specifically two things that this text has to teach us about how these blessings come to us. And first of all, they come to us in and through Christ. That comes out in the text, verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In those words, in Christ, though they come at the very end of the verse, the very end of the sentence, really they're modifying the verb. What it's saying is, who hath blessed us in Christ with all of these blessings. That also comes out from that little word, our. The Apostle Paul, by inspiration, does not write, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by that little word, our, we claim him as our own. That little word, our, connects us to Christ. And being connected to Christ means we're connected to God our Father in heaven. And now it's in Christ, in union with him, that we have these blessings because Christ is the one who earned them for us. He's the one who purchased all these blessings for us by his own saving death. It's exactly because Christ was obedient under the will of the Father that he earned these blessings. Exactly because 
Christ, the one who is blessed in himself, came down from the heavenly places to this earthly place and was cursed with all spiritual cursings that we now have salvation. They're found in him. And because we've been united to Christ by the work of the Spirit, those blessings now flow to us through that union we have with Christ. The blessings are found in the head, but because we are now members of his body, the life that he has is now given unto us. This text emphasizes that these blessings are found in Christ alone. And we add that word alone because of just how much emphasis is found here in these verses on the fact that all of this blessedness is found in Christ. It's as though Paul cannot help but repeat the name of Christ again and again and again. Notice that in just the first three verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God to the saints which are Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And this continues because in verses 3 through 14, no less than 10 times does the Apostle Paul remind us by inspiration that all of this comes to us in Christ, which is to say, in Christ alone. If there's no Christ, or if there's no connection to Christ, there's no blessing. These blessings are found in the sphere formed by Christ, and they don't go an inch beyond that sphere. Or as one commentator put it, Christ is the golden string on which all the other pearls of this doxology are hung. He is the center diamond around which all the lesser diamonds are set as rays. These blessings have their source in the triune God. How do they come to us? They come to us, first of all, in Christ that is in union with Christ. And second, they come to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. And here we circle back to what we noted earlier. The idea and the significance of that word spiritual. Paul says, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And again, the significance of that is these are blessings that come to us from the Spirit. By the work of the Spirit, they emanate from Him. And this reminds us of the specific role that the Spirit plays in our salvation. For while all of God's works are the work of the triune God, so that never is one person working to the exclusion of the other two, nevertheless, within each work that involves all three persons, each person plays a different role. They each have a different aspect to that work, a part of it on which they stand on the foreground of. 
And that's true of salvation. God the Father stands on the foreground in the planning of salvation. He's the one who has chosen us. God the Son stands on the foreground in the the accomplishing of our salvation. The securing of it. And it's God the Spirit who takes what Christ has earned and now applies those blessings to us. We mentioned that this morning and we see it again here in this passage of Scripture. So that we recognize that these blessings that Christ earned come to us by or via the work of the Holy Spirit. And all of this is a reminder that it's the triune God who is the source of these blessings. But now before we move on to the character of these blessings, it's worth noting the reason why we have started the way that we did with by starting with the giver rather than the gifts. It would not have been wrong to start with the gifts, to start with the blessings, the character of them, and then back up and say, where did all these come from? But I do believe it's preferable to have this order. Start with the giver. It's important that we start there exactly because of our tendency, even when we're talking about the blessings of salvation, to begin to focus on ourselves and all that God has to give to me. And really that points to what one preacher from a former age called our morbid preoccupation with ourselves. Can it happen that we, even when we're talking about the blessings of salvation, it becomes all about me and all that God does for me. When we need to remind ourselves, it's ultimately about God and His glory. We need to be focused on the, the giver rather than just the gifts. And that applies especially when we're talking about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, the blessings of salvation are stored up in Christ. We can talk that way. But you understand Christ is not a heap of benefits. He's a real person, you know. And ultimately, He is the gift. That's John 3.16. When the Spirit seeks to impress upon us the love of the Father... The Spirit by inspiration in Jesus Christ does not say, for God so loved the world that He gave all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. But He said, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son because He's the gift. He's what's most important. And that must be our focus. What should be first and foremost for us is the fact that we now have Him as our Savior, that we can have communion with this God in and through Christ. And all the blessings are really secondary to that. But now having said that, 
There are indeed tremendous blessings found in Christ. And Ephesians 1 verse 3 sets before us especially the character, the character of these blessings. And there are two parts of that that at least stand on the foreground, as we'll see in a moment. There are some other ways that we can speak of the character. But on the foreground are two things. These blessings are spiritual, in contrast to physical, and they're numerous. First, they're spiritual. And we say that in light of the language in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, and now this, in heavenly places. And that phrase, in heavenly places, is contrasting these blessings to the earthly, to the physical, to the external, because these are not blessings in earthly places, but instead these are blessings in heavenly places, blessings that come from heaven, blessings that are really for the heavenly life, which is to say the spiritual life that has been given to us at regeneration. These are spiritual blessings rather than physical, external, material blessings that are in view. And now here again we see a contrast between what we find again and again in the Old Testament and what we find in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the blessings that are mentioned again and again are in fact physical in nature. We see that, for example, when we read a passage like Leviticus 26 or Deuteronomy 28 through 30, where we have those long lists of, of all the different blessings that God will give to his people in the way of obedience. The things that are included are things such as a plentiful harvest, full storehouses, victory over your enemies, peace for the nation. Those are all physical, they're material blessings that are in view. And now that's not to say that there were no spiritual blessings for the people of Israel. That cannot be the case because otherwise they would not be saved at all. But the point is God was dealing with his people according to their spiritual maturity at the time. He was dealing with them as children. And really what he was doing was giving them the physical blessings as evidences of the far greater spiritual blessings. In other words, God blessed the Israelites with blessings in earthly places as tokens that he also blessed them with blessings in spiritual places. But that's the Old Testament. Now we're in the New Testament. And part of the point that the Apostle is making by inspiration is that there is this difference. The Spirit inspires Paul to say, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places to make clear to the people he's addressing. The emphasis is no longer on the the external, on the physical, but we're talking about spiritual blessings, heavenly blessings. And it's for this very reason that when we look around us in the society, we do not judge a man's spiritual blessedness based on his wealth or his lack thereof. 
It's on account of passages such as this that that we reject the whole health and wealth prosperity gospel. This is the reason we reject part of the teaching of common grace, that God's grace is found in things. Because the blessings that he has in store for us, the blessings that he gives to us in Christ by the Spirit are spiritual blessings. Does that disappoint you? That's a fair question. Because the temptation for us is to wish that the blessings were physical. The temptation for us is to fall into the thinking that, well, if God loves me, should not my life be easy? Should not I have health and wealth? Does it disappoint you that the message tonight is not, if only you believe, then God will give you all manner of earthly prosperity. Insofar as that is true of any of us, and I expect it's true of all of us to one degree or another, we do not need to be disappointed, beloved. Because a part of the point is that the heavenly blessings are so much greater than the earthly blessings. That's why the language is what it is. Not spiritual versus physical, but heavenly versus earthly. It's put that way so that we try to so that we take the two, put them side by side, and see there is no comparison whatsoever. The blessings in heavenly places are vastly greater. They're far richer. They're far more wonderful than anything that can be found in this earth and in this life. And it's exactly because that's true. Even if we lack from an earthly point of view, even if we have very little from a material point of view, we are still blessed. We still have what truly matters and we can still praise God accordingly. Even as the Apostle Paul. Because one thing I did not mention this morning that's relevant for this sermon is that Paul is writing this from prison. That comes out later in the book. He's under house arrest in Rome. But yet he's not dissatisfied, he's not complaining. Because what matters is not the earthly. What matters is not our circumstances. What matters is that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And all that is to say the character of these blessings is first of all that they are spiritual.
Second, these blessings are numerous. They're numerous. And we say that in light of that little word, all. Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. The Apostle Peter puts it this way in his second epistle, that God hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given us everything that we need. These blessings that God lavishes upon us are numerous. They're manifold. They're plenteous. Our God is not stingy in giving these blessings to us, but instead He opens His hand wide. What are they then? What's all included in these all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? Well, that's where the rest of the book comes in, and especially verses 4 through 14. Because the Apostle Paul goes on to list, not exhaustively, but somewhat comprehensively, the various blessings that we have. He starts with blessings in the past. The fact that we've been chosen of God. That's verse 4. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, God has elected us. Not because of anything good found in us, but merely according to His good pleasure. Blessings past, but there's also blessings present. Blessings that we enjoy right now. That includes our adoption. Verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. We are now the sons and daughters of the Most High God. This includes our redemption. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood. That is, we who were spiritual slaves, who were in bondage to sin, have been set free. We've been liberated from that. The blessings include forgiveness of sins. That's also verse 7. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Our sins are washed away. They're removed from us as far as east is from the west. They've been cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. And what is more, there's the blessing of sanctification. That's verse 4, that He's chosen us that we should be holy. He not only justifies us, He also sanctifies us that we might be holy even as He is holy. Verse 8, He gives to us the gifts of wisdom and prudence. And all these are just the present blessings because there's future blessings yet in store. That's verse 14, for example, which speaks of the the fullness of our inheritance and the redemption of the purchased possession. The fact that we'll be given an inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth. The fact that we'll have enjoy life with God for all eternity. And now the point is, Don't you see how numerous these blessings are? From a spiritual point of view, we are billionaires. For the blessings that are found in Christ are as extensive as they are extravagant. So first of all, they're spiritual. Second of all, they're numerous. And those are the two things that stand on the foreground. Now it's also worth noting that they've been given to us. We already have them. They're given. And that's evident from the language of the text. For we do not read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bless us, not that, who hath blessed us. 
He's already given them to us. Not the fullness of them, that's true as well. But the reality is if the reality is that we, we couldn't even receive the fullness of them. We don't have the capacity to, to have the fullness of them, to possess the fullness of them. But God, God does give them to us already now. He gives us a foretaste. He gives us the first fruits of the harvest. He gives us the first installment, the earnest, the down payment. Something to whet our appetites. Something to make us look forward to the fullness of them. And that only adds to the wonder of it all. That we don't have to wait. That the message tonight is just just look for the future and, and then it will finally be good for you. Then you'll finally be blessed. But we have those blessings already now at least in part. And note well they've been given to us. To us. Which is to say fourthly these blessings are particular. The Apostle Paul says that who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Us, that is, myself and the Ephesian congregation. But now what's noteworthy is, to whom is he speaking? Well, he's speaking to those that he's just described as saints who believe in Jesus Christ, who are united with Jesus Christ. And that means what he says here applies to all those who are saints, faithful in Jesus Christ. The us includes those of us who are gathered here this evening. And the point is, they're not given to everyone. These blessings are particular. They are only for those whom God has chosen in eternity. Who's re- he's redeemed at the cross and whom he's regenerated in time. And again, that adds to the astounding privilege. They've been given to us. Not to everyone out there. That makes them all the more wonderful. So that as those who have received such glorious blessings, the only question left for us tonight is how are we going to respond? The proper response, according to this passage of Scripture, is twofold. The proper response begins with a thankful acknowledgement of these blessings. And I say that's where it begins, exactly because of what we talked about in the introduction. Our tendency to lose sight of our privilege. Our temptation to become numb to it all, almost calloused. We are so rich from a spiritual point of view that we so readily take it all for granted. And thus our chief need is to have these things impressed upon us 
so that we acknowledge the tremendous privilege that is ours. So that we are duly impressed with the wonder of it and so that we give thanks to our God for all the blessings that we have received. And it's only in this way, it's only when we are thankful for them that we will retain or regain our first love. And I mention our first love because you will remember there is a second inspired epistle addressed to the Ephesians. It's found in the book of Revelation in the first three chapters where Christ addresses the seven churches that were found in Asia Minor. The first letter from Christ himself is to the church at Ephesus. And do you remember what Christ had against that congregation? They had lost their first love. So that whereas before their hearts were full of passion and zeal, whereas before their hearts were burning with love for Christ, What was true of them at that time was that their hearts had grown cold. There was not that zeal. There was not that fervor. And if we ask why, how could that happen to a congregation? What explains that? It's because they lost sight of their privilege. Is it not striking congregation? That the very issue that was cause for concern for the congregation at Ephesus has as its remedy the letter that the the Apostle Paul wrote by inspiration to that congregation. They lost their first love. Well, how do you regain it? How were, were they to retain it? by meditating upon the truths found in the book of Ephesians again and again and again. And that means for us, insofar as we too have lost our first love, what we need is a renewed sense of appreciation for all the riches of God's grace that are found in Christ. What we need set before us are the God-given, Christ-secured, Spirit-applied blessings of salvation. What we need is what the Apostle Paul speaks of in Ephesians 3, verse 8, the preaching of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Because it's when we humbly and thankfully acknowledge that privilege, we will retain or we will regain That first love. That's where the proper response begins. And undoubtedly there are many other things that we could say, but now we want to go to where the proper response ends. 
And it ends in praise to our God. It ends in doxology, and that too comes out from the passage. How does the Apostle Paul begin? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts on the note of praise, and he carries that note throughout this book, and especially throughout this first section. He's exclaiming God's grace to us. He comes back to this in verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Same thing in verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, the ending, unto the praise of his glory. That's how we respond. We respond by blessing our God. And the idea of blessing him is not that we somehow add something to him. That's impossible. Because we're talking about the God who is blessed in and of himself. The the only blessed one, the potentate, the king of kings. But instead, the idea of blessing him is that we speak well. That's the literal meaning of that word, to bless. It's talking about praising him, glorifying him, honoring him in and through our speech. And now notice that we bless God because he blessed us. Notice how the passage uses the same term to talk both about what God does for us and how we respond. Our response is at the outset, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we read, who hath, same word, blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And now obviously we're talking about blessing in two different senses of the word. God blesses us in the sense that he bestows upon us saving gifts and then we in response out of thankfulness bless him with thankful praise because the reality is that we have nothing else to give to him there's no way that we can take the things that have come down to us and somehow give them back to God as though we're paying him back in some way that's impossible But instead, having received all these blessings, we return them to the giver, as it were, by praising him for them. Is that true of us? Is this how we live our lives? Is that true of our prayers? After all, the chief purpose of prayer is to glorify our God. So is that a part of our prayers, that we adore him, praise him? Or have our prayers devolved to the point that we are only ever asking God for things? And now do not misunderstand me. God calls us to bring our supplications and requests. That's an important part of prayer, but that's not the whole of prayer. As God's children, do our prayers include this type of language that we find here? Blessed be our God and Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do we praise him? Do we adore him in our prayers? What about in our worship? When we gather here in this sanctuary on the Sabbath day, 
the reason that our worship is not what it should be at times is not because our liturgy is outdated. But rather the reason is something far more basic and far more serious. We're no longer captivated the way we should be by the wonder of our salvation. And thus our great need, I say it again, is to know the length and breadth, the height and the depth of the riches of God's grace toward us in Christ. Because when we grasp that, we will come here not merely for what we can get out of the worship service, but ultimately to give the praise and the glory to our God. The one who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Blessed be his name. Amen. Father in heaven, what can we say? What shall we render unto thee but to praise thee, to exclaim from the heart, Blessed be thy name, O God. And we praise thee not only because of who thou art as the triune God, but also because of the unsearchable riches of thy grace that thou dost so freely give to us in and through Christ. We are truly a privileged people. Help us to see something of that and to understand the wonders of thy love. And thereby fill our hearts with thanksgiving and praise. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.